Assalamu alaikum and welcome to In Conversation With. This is a relatively new show to Radio Ramadan with which involves two sets of couples to chat about everyday life and stuff affecting couples and family life. This is an easy uh, and uh, easy going and relaxed um, session where we have listeners, uh, we want listeners to benefit from different couples uh, having chats with the host couple. And today's host couple is myself, Nazim Gauri, and my wife, Lubna Gauri. And today we're joined by Sheikh Abdul Aziz and his wife, Sarah. And uh, how's Ramadan been going for you both? Alhamdulillah, it's, it's good. Uh, days are long, uh, but it's okay. Mm-hmm. Mm, I'm not really fasting, so, so I'm all right. Not really, meaning do you? Meaning I'm not really. I'm not actually fasting. Okay. So, yes. yeah. so you're. And how does it feel fasting, waking up and doing everything yourself, or is it not too bad? Alhamdulillah, this year has been really good because Sarah has uh, been up with me a lot of the time, most of the time. And um, so it's it's been different to previous years, where I was a little bit more on my own. Yeah. Okay, and Lubna, how's Ramadan been for you? You've so far managed most of the fast, haven't you? Wow. Alhamdulillah, I can't really complain. It's uh, Allah has been really merciful to help me go through the fasts. But obviously, I haven't kept all of them due to the pregnancy. Mm. Uh, would have loved to, but uh, obviously, That's my well condition done. is such. That's well yeah. done. Alhamdulillah. In fact, it's, I'm actually having to tell her not to fast and she's insisting on fasting so it's actually quite hard uh, and bear in mind that Lubna's a, a doctor as well doctors make the worst patients they say. <laughs> although they say pregnancy isn't a, uh, an illness by a physiological state but nonetheless uh, still, still. we have our uh, rather heated discussions about whether she should fast or not uh, and it's not a case of me asking her to fast it's very much the opposite but <laughs> yeah. it's great when her mum also tells her not to fast because then it gives me a bit of leverage but these are the challenges we faced so anyway, coming to the main discussion for today, it's normal to experience intense feelings when someone close to you becomes seriously ill. It can be a very confusing time. It may present you with many challenges. Although we know these things are a test from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and often advised to stay positive, not lose hope, accept what Allah has decreed. However, at the end of the day, we are only human and it can be a confusing, vulnerable an emotional time for all the family members. And uh, basically, uh, today's uh, discussion is going to be dealing with living with chronic illness and somebody who is affected by ill health, uh, particularly when they're part of an active family. Uh, and not only that, uh, often a chronic illness starts with an acute or uh, a short-lived severe illness before that. Uh, so touching a bit on that as well. And uh, for those of you that are perhaps here, you can probably hear a whistling or a kind of uh, bursting sound in the background, and that's because uh, Sarah actually has home oxygen. Uh, so that is the sound in the background. This helps make this a very real situation scenario that we're dealing with, and hopefully, uh, with discussion with Sheikh Abdul Aziz and his wife, we can get a better insight into things. And just uh, just to help other people appreciate who you both are as a couple. Some of us know you very well. Some of us know you less so. Um, Tell us a bit about yourself and your family, how long you've been married, what you both do in terms of work and generally what you get on with in life on a day-to-day basis. So Sarah and I have been married for four and a half years, uh, coming up to five years. Um, both of us were previously married before that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I work as a, I work for in education, trained as a teacher, but I work for the education department 
um, in a sort of management consultancy role. Alhamdulillah, we we live a very we lived a very active and uh, public life. Idris, our, our young son, he'd travelled on was it sixteen flights? Twenty two before he was a year and a half. Twenty two international flights yeah. before he'd even hit one years old. So that's and that that's not necessarily short flights. They included what? Dubai. Um, Malaysia. Malaysia, places like this. So, well, so we, we really were quite quite busy, quite active. Um, yeah, yeah. I was at home. I, I used to work as a as a as an interpreter, and then uh, what languages? Uh, Urdu, mm-hmm. Punjabi, and English. And I would translate those into Danish. No, no, these three into Danish, okay. and vice versa. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I moved to Glasgow after I'm I'm from Denmark. I moved to Glasgow after we got married, and uh, just never bothered to get a job. <laughs> and then I had Eddie, and then I had Idris, and um, and 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 I was at home with Idris, and yeah, traveling, and uh, yeah, that 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 was us. Just alhamdulillah. So uh, Sarah, coming to the the main thing that we want mm-hmm. to discuss today. Mm-hmm. Uh, so when did you fall ill, and what was the illness? It was um, 2016, um, I remember very clearly, it was March 26th that I started feeling the first symptoms. Um, I, I, I was saying to my husband, I can't really change his nappy, I can't, I can't, really, um, I can't really carry him anymore. Those, those, that, that's where it started, uh-huh. but, and it ended with, um, with, with me getting intubated and just being diagnosed with this... Uh, interstitial lung disease okay and so when you said you were struggling was it were you, were you feeling tired were you feeling breathless yes. weak what was it I was feeling very tired very breathless and I was having coughing fits coughing fits that would eventually lead to vomiting because I would cough for so long mm-hmm. um, and I was getting horrible horrible fevers they were like clockwork every mm-hmm. 12 hours I would have a horrible fever um, and the, the GP didn't take it very seriously until one of our uh, one of our doctor friends said, "Look, I'll I'll, I'll take you to the to the uh, call NHS 24 and I'll go with you." Uh-huh. And thank God they took me seriously. And then they they, they did an X-ray and said, "Actually, you have uh, you have pneumonia, bilateral pneumonia, pneumonia in both lungs." Uh-huh. And they started giving me antibiotics, but no- nothing moved it. Mm-hmm. Uh, nothing, absolutely nothing, mm-hmm. until um, I was. Just, just struggling to breathe so much that the struggle would probably kill me if they hadn't intubated me. Uh-huh. Um, and so I was, I was intubated for about a week, and yeah, waking up from there was probably the most tough journey for both of us of in, in our different ways. I was in the, I was in the in ICU, mm-hmm. so mine was my journey was there, and my husband's on the outside with a little baby who had just come off the breast actually oh, right. he he was um he was so he was completely weaned off I no he wasn't weaned no. off at all so right. when i became sick this was his first time without oh, without being right. so he actually had to wean him off on his own uh-huh. so he must have been about 8 months old almost no he was one and a half years well, old but he was sure. very dependent okay. on the on on, on, on the breast, breast he was he ate not as many solids as a one and a half year old would so even mm-hmm. though he only 
fed for a year and a half, mm. he got at least three years worth, I would yeah. say, considering uh-huh. how much he fed. So you had additional stress of uh, not being able to feed your son Absolutely. because of the illness. Yeah, I felt like I never had to got to say goodbye, and it's something that mm-hmm. still bothers me, actually. Uh-huh. And how did that, obviously, apart from that, how did that impact on your life in the early stages? Well, oh, we never knew if I was, did, we didn't know if I was going to walk again. Mm-hmm. Uh at one point my husband thought I'd had, I'd had neurolo- neurological damage mm-hmm. I was I was um, I was saying things that didn't make sense at all mm-hmm. um, and um, so was there something like a delirium you had yes I, I was pretty pretty out of it with, mm-hmm. with, with the, I think the amount of medicine I'd I had been mm-hmm. given and but alhamdulillah I got out of that but it took a long time until I could shower myself I mm-hmm. could walk myself I mm-hmm. could even talk for longer periods mm-hmm. um, well, I, I was I, I was very very limited in my capacity to, uh-huh. to, to do anything uh-huh. anything sure of course and uh, your family back home I'm sure they must have been terribly worried about you as well oh yeah yeah I, th- I, I think I think they were um, but I think uh, my husband's very very hands-on so I think that that really gave them a lot of um, a lot of comfort that, that, mm-hmm. that he was there mm-hmm. and how long were you in hospital for in total four months four months four months so just for the listeners to appreciate her condition an interstitial lung disease is a situation where you have inflammation uh, or disease of the actual lung tissue itself also spaces between the air sacs and the lungs uh, and often it can be look like pneumonia in the initial uh, stages, which is why you often treat the pneumonia. And obviously, I used to see you. You're very much you're a very uh, composed individual. You don't express emotion unless there's a need to express it. But how were you feeling when you discovered that Sarah was unwell, and when uh, uh, she was in hospital? So how did that impact you at a personal level, professional level, and also as a father and husband? It was a big challenge. Um, strangely, I've been in that intensive care many times, mm-hmm. uh, but obviously it's very different when it's your wife, um, when it's friends and other people. It's it, it's, it's different. Um, being there and not and remembering that I've been there, and the people that I've been with, some of them have come through it, and some of them haven't. It's not easy. Um, so, so it's particularly the intensive care was very difficult. Also, having a eighteen-month-old baby meant it was was very difficult to organise life because I couldn't bring him into the hospital. So, I I could only visit Sarah if I could get somebody to look after the baby. And often people didn't want to look after the baby; they wanted to visit Sarah. Mm. So they would meet me at the hospital, but they wouldn't look after Sarah. Wouldn't like to yeah. look after Idris, so they would visit Sarah, and I wouldn't. Mm. And it was very frustrating um, when you've asked somebody to come and help you, and they don't, yeah. don't actually help. Mm. Um, so, so it was it was a tough time. And then Sarah did come out of the coma times mainly just to give me abuse that's always a good sign when they kind of re- uh, <laughs> and, yeah. and to give the doctors abuse for uh, and that that was difficult because it, it she wasn't herself she wasn't it was just not it was a very difficult time so uh, um, then when she started to recover by this time it was Ramadan uh, and then that brought other challenges mm. yeah 
Um, and then while she was in intensive care, uh, I was I took a couple of weeks off work um, and they called me into work and they said, it's important you return to work. I says, well, look, my wife is really sick uh, and I'm on sick leave. I don't have to. And they said, I think you should. And the reason they wanted to come in was to tell me that my post had been deleted. Um, in other words, you've got no job to come back to. Mm. So I politely just told them, that's great. I'll see you later because mm -hmm. my wife is fighting for her life and I've got more important things to think about than my job. And that's not what they were expecting. Um, so then they called me a couple of days later to say, look, maybe that was insensitive. Would you like to come and talk about it? And I said, no. Alhamdulillah, things. So it was it was challenges coming from all all sides. Um, and just to put the listeners in perspective, are you backing your same post now? No, the post was deleted. Um, and like I say, I had, I had other things on my mind. Um, I went back to work. Uh, and I have a, a better post and a, um, a more senior position. In the same organisation, same council, and um, it's worked. Work-wise, it's worked out fine. I'm not. I'm not complaining. But it was tough at the time, and and in some ways, it, it was a blessing because I didn't really care about work anymore. Mm -hmm. um, and making decisions about what was important in my life was was much easier. Uh, at that time um, it was Idris and, and Sarah This is very interesting the thing that's coming to my mind straight away is that Allah actually facilitated your path in terms of making your priorities easy for you by taking care of and so that, in terms of work it might be perceived that it was a negative circumstance but ultimately you're in a better job now in the same organisation and it's almost and I see this as a doctor a lot sometimes people are in circumstances where they think oh no this is happening that's happening and I've, one thing I've learned is like look you didn't look for the circumstance. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created the circumstance. Why are you worried about it? He'll use a means or a way to do what's best for you, even though at the time it might look a bit ajeeb or strange. Mm. Yeah, to add to that, we actually were planning to move to Malaysia. Mm -hmm. uh, and a week before Sarah took ill, Sarah was hospitalised on the Friday. And on the Monday we had visitors from Malaysia who came to discuss the curtains. And the, and the paint. And the, and no, the paint was already dealt with. We'd, we'd chosen the paint, beds. but we hadn't chosen the beds for our new flat in Malaysia. Oh, yeah. So we, we were about to move to Malaysia uh -huh. for a job that I was offered there. So I was going to give my notice in anyway. Yeah. <laughs> what, what I realised, and the, I think the biggest lesson probably is related to the story of Sayyidina Yusuf. Um, oh. when, when, the prof, when the Sayyidina Yusuf, the Prophet Joseph, Yusuf was thrown into the well, the commentators on the Quran said that Jibril used to visit him every single day. Mm -hmm. um, but when he was thrown into the prison, Jibril used to visit him, as the Tafsir says, Nadiran, occasionally. Mm -hmm. And when Jibril asked, when Yusuf asked Jibril, why have you, why do you not visit me so frequently, whereas previously you spent a lot of time, and it, he replied that it's because when you were tested. Um, with fitna, with the tribulations of the women who were, who were uh, the, the different problems before before the, he was put into prison, he says, that the prison is more preferred for, to me than what they call me to. So his choice was to go into the prison. He wasn't put into a choice. He didn't have a choice about the well. Mm -hmm. and And the thing that I learned the most about this is I 
didn't make a choice. Sarah didn't make a choice. And of all the things that I've I've done in my life, and alhamdulillah, I've been fortunate enough to make Hajj many times over the last 40 years and had lots and lots of forms of ibadah, mm-hmm. but none of them match what was given to us in that sickness yeah. because no. this was Allah's choice and not my choice. He took everything away from us, yeah. almost took Sarah away from us. Uh, he took Idris from Sarah yeah. at the time when she was breastfeeding him in the morning and in the evening he didn't know what had hit him yeah. and she didn't know what had hit her uh, and and that was by and, and alhamdulillah I think when you're put into a situation where you're not making the choices the reward is greater SubhanAllah I mean we're just looking at each other because very very similar circumstances happened to my own father mm. at the end of March now he had been unwell he'd never been admitted to hospital until the end of January and as most people know I work in Queen Elizabeth our local hospital and I actually got my father admitted at the end of January because he was unwell mm. he, as a GP he was very resistant to getting admitted but I had to put my foot down and I got him admitted when I was actually on call mm. and then he spent one period of time in hospital and he'd been okay a bit unwell uh, and then he got out and at that stage we had actually made plans to go for Umrah with Isa Lewis uh, mm. and go to Turkey as well he'd been his desire to see Turkey uh, and we still thought we'd still be on the cars by the time he the trip was there but then a week before we were supposed to go he took on well a second time and I took mm. him back into hospital again again when I was on call uh, and that time he became very very unwell and he went into intensive care he went mm. into a coma he had brain surgery it was high dependency and I remember on a Saturday morning and when the trip was supposed to be for Isilwis I had to go to Edinburgh I just said I'm cancelling I said yeah. although I'd love to go for Umrah my mother has a, my father had the greatest right on me and as he said, when you go into an intensive care setting or something and you see other people, it's one thing, but it's your own family or your own father mm-hmm. or whatever. It's a different situation, especially as a doctor, because yes. you deal this day in, day out. But subhanAllah, we had the visa and I said to my mum, look, we'll just take it, play it by ear. And I'm not going to bore people with my Umrah trip, but in mm. short, it was a very interesting Umrah trip. And those that have known me and spent time with me will see there were a few karama that had taken place mm-hmm. uh, in, that, in going to Umrah and actually at Umrah as well. And one thing I learned with this, as you mentioned, was that I didn't ask for the circumstance of my father to be unwell. But I was always grateful that he was unwell in my hospital where I worked. Mm. In essence, I was being paid to see my father because I worked in that hospital and I'd see him four or five times a day. Mm. And so many people have to take time off work. Yeah, yeah I'm being paid to see my father. And I knew all the doctors and it was, it was very different. It was very nice in some ways. And I had a lot of support from my colleagues and things. But I, I just rem- uh, resonates with your point, Shay. That when you don't look for a circumstance, Allah gives you more. Mm. And, and how is he now? He went back in hospital a third time. I had to take him in again. Unfortunately, mm. I wasn't on call this third time. And he just got home last week. Alhamdulillah. Uh, but Alhamdulillah, he's actually a bit better. He has got, got gaps in his memory for what happened and indeed in his ability to function. But all things being equal, he could have been six feet under, to be frank. So um, at this point, uh, just to bring up Idris again and ask yourselves, how did its impact on him? And did he understand at all what was going on? And did you notice any change in his behavior? I think dad is best to answer that question since uh, since daddy is his primary carer, mashallah. Of course. Yeah, Abdulaziz. No, he, he, didn't, he didn't understand. And I think he, he still is struggling to understand. And mm-hmm. I, I don't know what the long-term yeah. consequences are going to be, the long-term effects. Mm-hmm. I think it was very difficult for him to... To, to process mm-hmm. um, 
all of a sudden there was just two of us in in our lives and and there was a bit of anger of mm -hmm. towards his mother of course because yeah. he just didn't understand yeah. and of course that was the last thing that sarah needed was mm -hmm. to 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 almost be rejected he was almost he, entirely no yeah. honestly that's how it yeah, yeah he wasn't deliberately goes. doing but he, yeah. he behaved in such a way that that it was painful to watch yeah. how he was uh, reacting to his mother yeah. mm -hmm. um, and then probably the best points of the recovery so to speak as a family are when when you see little things like the first time you know, he, he cuddled up to his mother mm -hmm. the first first time he, he he ate with his mother the first time that she changed his nappy the first yeah. time that she put him to bed all of those are really real massive milestones because it was like rebuilding Huge, yeah. a life and, and it's still not rebuilt yet he's mm, still yeah he's still it's very very dependent on me mm -hmm. um is, is good for me but it's, it's not so um yeah and, and i think i think we'll see how it how it develops i would just like to add to mm -hmm. that that it um for myself it truly truly felt as if i, I actually didn't have a child anymore mm -hmm. he was very clear in his communication uh about not wanting me in his life and and i think a little bit annoyed at me joining their twosome yeah. when i came back home um, but um, it was such a huge lesson that I never ever would have learned and the lesson basically was not even my children or my child is as important as my relationship with God mm -hmm. and that's exactly, that, that's exactly what came to mind when I was about to ask that you that was, yeah, no, and, and so it was while I would never ask oh, I would never wish for him not to want me but it was still a blessing that Allah gave me those days, that time, mm -hmm. where where that was taken away, because it it puts life and and the blessings of this dunya into perspective. That the blessings are, for me, useful only when I'm grateful for them. Absolutely. And if I get lost in them, then mm, then then, may, mm, then then I need to rethink things for myself anyway. Definitely. Um, so yeah, yeah, that was. I mean, Masha, that's a very valid point, and it's something that. I can definitely re uh, resonate with in that people say to me, how are you coping? I said, look, mm. as a doctor, I can see both sides of the coin. But mm. and first and foremost, I, say, I always say my father is a slave of Allah subhanahu wa First, he's my father. Second, he has a greater right on him. He can do what he wants. How I want is secondary. And yeah. in essence, my test is that I don't do things that displease Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the process mm. or have an attitude when I'm trying to compete with God for ownership of my father. Mm -hmm. yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, and this is something I've been and everyone who's spoken to me yeah. professionally personally I keep making this point mm -hmm. because having to manage everything you know what mm. you, you don't see it as four months of your life that were yeah. very difficult you actually see them the most blessed four Huge months of blessing. your life oh absolutely I have to say that because I, I was I was uh, one some of the best times were when I was uh, when at night there was no nurse to hold my hand my husband was at home taking care of the baby mm -hmm. and then when you get sad or you have a horrible pain in your yeah. lungs or something then there's only God to call on Definitely. and that it was like a 24-hour intensive workshop with God mm -hmm. uh, to, to strengthen your relationship it's, yeah it was very very tough months but it they were they were a huge blessing mm -hmm. a huge blessing mm -hmm. I think it's just uh, for us listeners uh, to reflect on this, subhanAllah, because uh, we do end up um, complaining uh, any time we are afflicted with any calamity or any difficulty. And the first thing that comes to mind is, why me? Yeah. 
So, you know, and I think that's natural to think like that because you have people around you who are, who are living a good life and are happy and, mm-hmm. you know, you've got everything. And then, and, and I think that's how shaitan plays it, isn't it? Mm-hmm. That uh, he can't make us um, do shirk or, you know, commit mm-hmm. open, sins openly or, um, or uh, you know, worship someone else apart from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But uh, he tries to sneak in through these small things mm-hmm. and make us uh, feel thankless or, you know, even uh, do Nashukur uh, subhanahu wa ta'ala's immense blessings that are on us, even breathing. Yeah. You know, how now, Sarah, yourself, you're yeah. on uh, home oxygen. Mm-hmm. And how many of us would uh, thank Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala every day for even being able to breathe fresh air, you know, yeah. and not having to have the supplemental oxygen in order to be able to breathe. So you are a living example for uh, for everyone who's listening and 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 do, to those who, who you come across in your daily mm-hmm. life, as well as all the patients who are in hospitals struggling with various um, kinds of illnesses. So this is just uh, just an eye opener for everyone mm-hmm. to to reflect upon and and you know get back to Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala. We're talking about chronic illness uh, and living with it, not just the initial stages when somebody gets diagnosed, but the the days, weeks, months, years beyond this when they're at home and they've got uh, a residual or dis, um, uh, lasting disability, whether it's problems with breathing, mobility, or combination of factors. It's been very enlightening so far, hearing uh, everyone's views so far and being able to reflect on that from a, a perspective, linking it back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So just moving on uh, from the initial uh, discussion, um, when he, uh, Sarah got admitted, and uh, I guess for Sheikh Aziz because Sarah was in a coma for a period of time and yeah. a bit delirious. Yeah. Uh, how was it for you in terms of any support you had? You obviously mentioned getting childcare for Idris, but were there people that came into your life, in your life that you didn't expect to help you, or were there people there who who helped as expected and up their game? Were there people who you thought maybe would be more uh, show more concern and they didn't? Now, obviously, when it comes to someone being sick, and I know this from a personal experience, sometimes people don't want to invade your personal space because you're a busy person who knows, knows lots of people. But equally, you could have the opposite spectrum where people are itching to speak to you just because of the general concern they have, but perhaps not appreciate the sensitivities of the matter. Mm. That, that's a difficult one because uh, it's, it's, it's quite a raw uh, feeling and it, it touches the, a nerve here. Because, alhamdulillah, I've been in Glasgow for a lot of many years, nearly 20 years now. And over those 20 years, I've, like I said, I've been in, in hospital many times to the extent that one of the chaplains used to think I worked there uh, because I used to visit so many sick people. Um, you know, I've bur- buried many people, I've married, helped people through divorces. And so it was very surprising that I was so alone. Uh, and really. Why do you think that is, though? Could it be because I had to respect that they didn't want to contact you? Or do you think that people see it as a one-way street that you should help them but they don't have to give anything in return. Not that we expect, but obviously we have a... Uh, I, th- I think, I, think um, I mean, the reality of it is I did. it took me some time to understand and and when I understood it, it was really through the, the writings of Sheikh Abdul Qadr Jailani mm. who described how that when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants somebody, he takes everybody away from them. Mm-hmm. And that one of the ways that he tests people is by making them so independent of everybody else that they become only dependent on him Mm -hmm. and he takes away all the people that 
um, have any connection with them. And it literally was that, that, mm. that I went to the hospital, sat with somebody who couldn't speak because she was in a coma, and when mm. she did come out of the coma, she just gave abuse um, to a child who couldn't speak, mm-hmm. back to the hospital. Mm-hmm. Who would give abuse in his own way. <laughs> yeah. uh, mm-hmm. and, and it was very, very much, it was very lonely. Yeah. Um, and then what he does, he brings back people. Once you get to a point where you're completely broken, Abdul Qadir Jailani describes, mm-hmm. and Allah knows, then he allows people to come back into your life. But he doesn't bring them back in the same way mm-hmm. as they were there before. And that's really what I saw was because those people whose weddings I performed and whose fathers I buried and whose mothers I buried Mm -hmm. and who I took for Hajj and I took for Umrah were no longer there. But other people were there. And these were people who I just smiled at and they remembered that. Mm -hmm. Or somebody who I just had a difficult problem and I just spoke kindly to them. And I forgot all about it. It wasn't important in any way. But somehow it affected them. And they insisted on, even though I kind of told them don't come, one or two people in particular came. And these were people who were not particularly close to me. But I can now say that they are probably more precious to me than, than anything else I had before. And those three or four people that, that came there are better than three thousand people that I must have have taken for Hajj and taken through classes um, from this city. Um, so that was one thing that, that when you say what kind of support and how did it happen, that's that's really what the reality of from from what Abdul Qadir Jailani describes. Um, and just for people who are perhaps less familiar, his writing can be quite cutting and harsh, uh, depending what uh, uh, bits you read. Uh, but the uh, one thing that stands in mind when you read some of his work is he's to the point. He he identifies the shortcomings in a lot of creation, but also the potential to succeed and exceed to, uh, when the the correct path is chosen. Do you want to perhaps say a few words on Sheikh Qadir Jilani? Sheikh Abdul Qadir Jilani is a he writes from experience. It's not a it's not a he doesn't write or his main text Fatul Rabbani Fatul These two books both translated very well into English. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, by Mukhtar Holland. This translation is very good. There's another yeah. translation which is not so good, but he writes from experience. It's not. They're not theological discussions, mm. and because they're experiential, mm. they they are painful because mm. they help you to understand exactly. what you're experiencing. And the reason why he's so important is because it's pure tawhid. It's pure understanding of what the meaning of la ilaha illallah is. That there is only one God. There is only Allah, and it doesn't. It's, and that's why, if people really understand him, it's not sectarian, mm, and yes. and that's why I like. List. I mean, he's he's described as being one. Every group, the Salafis, the Wahhabis, the Sufis, they all claim that he's one of them, and that's because he's one of everybody. It's It's the most pure Tawheed, mm. uh, and and you understand that when you're in pain and that's why sometimes you need to really understand Abdul Qadir Jailani in the time of tribulation in the time of testing and then go back to it and keep going back to it I don't know how many times I've read read, uh, uh, Fatuh al-Ghayb over the last two years um, 
yeah, it's, it's just something I go over and over again because it helps me to, to make sense of those four months mm-hmm. where Sarah was in hospital. And then what happened after, it, 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 and I'm still struggling yeah. to, to go through that. And often I'm going through the same experience with two or three other people who are seriously ill with cancer. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, almost everything that I, I guide them to or suggest are from the words of Abdul Qadir yeah. Jailani. Mm-hmm. Uh, alhamdulillah. I think that's a very valid point and as, like yourself I've been through the books myself quite recently and I think when you are dealing with healthcare and illness and people with problems his work's very good because it helps you understand the priorities of things it helps take an unnecessary emotion mm. and you understand how subtle the ego is in all, in all these situations because it's all about attention seeking a lot of the time and actually realising you know what it doesn't matter what the circumstances the circumstances created by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for a different reason whether it's illness or health or whether it's fluctuating between the two mm. and he makes a point saying that w- whether you're in happiness or sadness it doesn't change the state of a person because it's all from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala it's all temporary so a person if he has good things fine if he has bad things fine. it doesn't change there are this constant the barometers bang in the middle and that's something that I've read and starting to realise the value of because you save yourself so much time, energy and emotion when you're going through difficulties. How things are present, we would like to know and keen to know um, how are you keeping with regards to your health? Mm. Well, I'm, um, you can say my, my main two jobs in the day are breathing and resting. Um, literally, I, 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 will, I will, for example, I'll get up and I'll have breakfast and I'll wash a few dishes and then I need to rest uh-huh. um, and then I'll get up and I'll maybe um, I don't know tidy up a few things or make some calls or have a shower whatever I'll do and then I'll need to rest again yeah, sure. and so, so so that's actually what my day consists of uh-huh. is is making sure um, I'm breathing and mm-hmm. making sure that um, I, I get the enough rest uh-huh. and especially because when then uh, f- about f- five o'clock and my husband and Idris come home mm-hmm. uh, so I can spend time with them so I get, I get about some some hours with Idris and, and my husband and then by eight o'clock I am exhausted with oh, just having three hours of not having done any hard labor yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't cook uh, very very rarely do I cook uh, mm-hmm. and just um, what, before I think uh, we, we went on here discussing mm-hmm. this about uh, how do you manage especially with the oxygen mm-hmm. mask in the kitchen and things mm-hmm. so and I think you were saying I her. don't cook for example yeah. and, and if I do I'll get everything ready everything that needs to be chopped or uh-huh. cut or whatever and then I'll take my oxygen mask off at the end uh-huh. but it's not it's not very often because after I do take my oxygen off and if I do cook I need a lot of rest after that mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so oftentimes it's not worth me yeah, going sure, through definitely. that um, so that's uh, that's that, and uh, and that's a good day. We're talking about a good day now. And then there are days that some days I've just had recently are when um, when I need my food in the bed, when I need to be helped to the bathroom, when I need to be helped to um, change my clothes uh-huh, and so on, uh-huh. where I barely get to see my son's face because he'll just come he'll kiss me and then he'll go to bed i don't really get to play with him or spend time with him yeah so in those days it's as if again i I feel kind of childless yeah yeah, because i can't really be with him and how often do those days come they they, they are becoming less and less Mm -hmm. thank god um in 20 uh, in 2016 there were many more 2015 uh, 2017 slightly less this year slightly less um so but they're there on a regular basis Uh uh-huh okay so, um, what do the doctors have to suggest about the prognosis? And um, 
I, I was supposed to have a transplant yes, at one point. Yes, I was to bring that up. You yes. beat me to it again. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> uh, I was supposed to have a transplant at one point, but um, I had a review of my uh, of my assessment just, just earlier this year, and um, uh, n- now I'm not sick enough to have a transplant. Um, the... Um, the, the, the cost and benefit of a transplant is, is the, the, the benefit is just not in my favor anymore the um, so it, it wouldn't really be worth taking all the risks that you take when you have a lung transplant mm-hmm. and just to uh, help uh, listeners understand when you someone has an or solid organ transplant like this they're not only going to, they obviously get a new organ put in which hopefully is healthier than what's already in yeah yeah uh, they also have to go on immunosuppression or medication which helps suppress the one's own immune system to stop them rejecting uh, the the graft uh, yeah. that has been put in, yeah. or the transplanted item that's gone in, uh, and these drugs are not without their own side effects as well, and, and have to be taken lifelong. Because once they stop and the body develops a reaction to it, then you lose, you, f- you get failure of that organ. Yes. So yes. this is why she was making reference to the risks versus benefits. And yeah. I remember you mentioned that to me earlier in the mm. year that you no longer need a transplant. Yeah. That's obviously very pleasing to hear, Alhamdulillah, because yeah. obviously. It's unusual for someone to come off a transplant list yeah. when they've been put on because it's so difficult to get put on in the first place. Yeah, yes, uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. yeah, the, the, yeah I'm, I'm not exactly off the okay. list, but I'm kind of in limbo. Uh-huh. They're still keeping an eye on me, okay. so, uh, so so I'm not really been discharged from Newcastle, the transplant unit okay. yet. Okay. Uh, they're afraid it's just a honeymoon period, as they called it. Okay. Uh, well, are you are you, are you uh, still are you honeymooning more? Because this is obviously we're now halfway through two thousand eighteen. Mm-hmm. I, I couldn't no, say they, I'm honeymooning they, more, but yes, no, please. They said, they said you do need a transplant. Okay. Eventually, but not now. Uh-huh. But at the moment, you're because you're, the quality of life and is is sufficient, and, yeah. and the the chances of you. Your, in effect, your life expectancy is not yeah. uh-huh. is more than a year. Yeah, they won't give you a transplant, but you will yeah. need a transplant. That's what they say, what and that saying, itself yeah. brought some challenges yeah. mentally yeah. because yeah. we we learning to live with the the knowledge that you're going to need new lungs, and that you will have a new life once you get new lungs, mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden that was taken away to say you yeah. are going to get new lungs, but not now. Mm-hmm. You're only going to get it once you're going to die, yeah. and then we'll give you new lungs. Yeah. And that was quite mentally that was actually quite difficult for, oh. for all of us to to take into account mm. uh, until somebody very simply just said, well, that's good news because a lung lasts for eight years on average, and if you get it now, you'll probably be. Detonate, yeah. Whereas mm-hmm. if you get it in three years' time, mm-hmm. yeah. and I thought, well, that's a very simple, logical way to look at look life. Yeah. And yeah. That, that yeah. also has a, a reality to it, and it yeah. brings home the re- sharp reality mm-hmm. of what this life is all about. Mm. And alhamdulillah, we accept that. And, yeah. and once we've learned to accept that, yeah, we can deal with it much better. Yeah. However, this uncertainty does become a little bit tough to deal with. It is a little bit of an emotional roller coaster because, as, as my husband just said, we, we had adapted to the idea of I'm going to get a transplant and then it'll be, inshallah be fine and now it's like uh, no not really not now so uh, but yeah yeah just learning to live with it one day at a time mm-hmm. uh, so obviously you've got a young child and you're somewhat limited so and Sheikhal is you're back at work so how do you manage in terms of the child and nursery and all that type of practical stuff now I had to make the decision uh, about becoming a full time carer mm. um, and I decided against it for my own mental health mm-hmm. uh, because I'm not going to pretend it is very very tough to care Absolutely. for somebody mm-hmm. and 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 I needed I needed a break from caring mm-hmm. I can't care for two people um, 
and so I'd rather go to work and spend a third of my salary on putting him in a, a mm-hmm. nursery mm-hmm. Um, and that's what we've done um, and it's, it's worked out fine he's, he's thriving in the nursery um, I think I'm doing well at work and, and Sarah's organised her life in such a way that she can prioritise because as she said her priorities are just breathing yeah. um, and, and, and when you get to that level where you every single little thing means something you mm. you mentioned about happiness earlier on and I, th- I think i just pick up on what you said i didn't actually know what happiness was mm-hmm. um and i i kept a diary over the years and, and i can sometimes reflect on some of the things that i've gone through and thought but while sarah was ill i used to to, to write in my diary i'm content with Allah's decree mm-hmm. it was something that kept almost like a mantra mm-hmm. and it was true i actually was content with Allah's decree i wasn't unhappy mm. But I couldn't say I was happy. Mm-hmm. That was not something I'd ever written. I am happy about what Allah has given me. Mm-hmm. Till one day Sarah had said to me, I've never been happier in my life. And it really struck me. I, I just couldn't understand what that meant. Mm-hmm. I couldn't understand how could you be, never have been happier than when you're this sick. Mm-hmm. And I just kind of struggled with that for a week. The day she came out, things had fallen into place. We got a new house. Um, I remember we had to get that painted uh, <laughs> and, and three or four guys came and they didn't do a great job but they <laughs> did a great they did a job that had so much love in it uh-huh. that every little blemish of where it's not painted particularly well we look at those brothers painted in their own time with such love and some of them didn't even know me mm-hmm. uh, and that's what I meant about people coming into our lives and, and it, it, it's, 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 it's an honour but anyway we, we came from that from that situation to this new house to a new life mm-hmm. and on the way home during the time that I was just me and Idris it was like two 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 boys we bought what we needed to eat mm-hmm. before we ate it we ate it and then when we were hungry we bought what we needed to eat mm-hmm. <laughs> so there was never any planning there was never any well there was planning but there was not there was nothing in the fridge so when Sarah mm-hmm. came home we realized actually there's nothing in the fridge because <laughs> what we do is we just decide what we're going to eat and then eat mm-hmm. so we stopped off to buy chicken and chips on the way and I don't like chicken and chips mm-hmm. uh, we, it was just there was one shop and we sat in this on the floor no furniture in this new house and they were the best it was the best meal I'd ever tasted and then it struck me what Sarah had met, meant I've never mm-hmm. been happier because at last I think I'd found that happiness um, and, I, and I think that's that's what I think was important about this this lesson. Was mm. We actually learned what happiness was. And obviously, people see you as a, a sheikh and a scholar, but for you to say that and needing a personal circumstance like this to realise that it's an indication that knowledge is one thing, understanding and experience is another. Exactly. And she and Sarah was the one that taught me because she was the one that said, I'm, I've never been happier. Mm-hmm. And I was struggling with that because I was writing, I'm content. Mm-hmm. I am content, but happiness is something different. SubhanAllah, that really brings tears to the eyes and uh, um, really, you know, makes us think that, you know, how what you've been is really a struggle. Um, Sheikh, would you recommend any zikr prayers to read for those who face health issues? And just building on that, any etiquettes when visiting the sick? I think the most important thing is to remember what the reward for visiting the sick is. Um, that's Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will say Yomul Qiyamah I was ill and you didn't visit me and people will say how could you be ill 
and he said if you'd visited so and so you would have found me if you had visited so and so you would have found me there so in other words visiting the sick is where you find you will find Allah and um, to, to link the two questions I have a close friend who who I've known since she was a very young girl and she was recently diagnosed with cancer um, and so a very aggressive form of cancer and so I went to visit her and she was being told by everybody around her you know you need to pray you need to do this because you haven't got long and and you know this is the time so she was asking me what I says you don't need to do anything you don't need to do anything at all you just need to be because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has put you in this situation you need to pray yes mm-hmm. but don't worry about it just do the absolute minimum you do tayammum in the in the bed mm-hmm. with a stone you do your farad sitting lying just with your eyes and just be because your reward is greater than anybody else could have ever I could never get that reward and uh, so she just smiled I says will you tell my mum that because she keeps telling and then she asked me so what do you need to what prayers do I need? sadly mm-hmm. her brother has also been diagnosed with cancer mm-hmm. and the other brother who has gone into Etikaf said what do I should I ask for my brother and sister I said why are you asking me you think Allah doesn't speak Norwegian <laughs> <laughs> just tell him you're asking what you and really the dua is from your heart yeah. Yeah. you know it has to be the state you're in and the state doesn't have to even need words you just ask him you just look towards the Qibla and just say Allah help me whatever it is mm. and, and the etiquette is to realize that you're getting the, the what you're getting from this experience of visiting the sick is much more than the sick are getting from you just to be there to and so therefore you need to have the adab towards that person not to overstay your welcome not to, to burden the person and if it just means going to the hospital sitting in the waiting room doing dua and going home and not actually seeing a sick person you will still get the reward and that's that's the important thing here is the intention and the, the, the etiquette that's a very important point and that's something that I wanted to just for you to elaborate further on now obviously one thing is it's the it's we have a responsibility to visit the sick and it's the right of the person who's sick to be visited but sometimes we have to understand that the right of the patient comes first and sometimes being wanting to visit or being visited actually isn't in the best interest so what mm-hmm. what advice would you give to people who want to visit people who are very sick in particular the more sick stage of things or have a very difficult diagnosis but maybe uh, the family or the sick person don't want to be visited at that point in time mm-hmm. I, I've, I've there was one particular case where I remember visiting her beats when I was earlier today and I went there every day for about two months and I never visited the patient once Mm. Some of the time I just sat in the car park and read my adhkar and my du'a and just sent my greetings from the car park. Mm. Other times I went into the building. Mm. But there was a, and, and, I, and I, it was, I was intending to visit the sick. It wasn't me getting reward or mm. it wasn't about an act of worship. It was my duty towards them. You don't need to worry about what, the, what, what um, you're doing doing how close you get you just need to make sure your intention is pure and you show good manners and good manners often means not going there Mm. Um, and I used to regularly just go and sit in the car park Uh, and there's nothing you know if your intention is pure you'll be rewarded for that and And I think sometimes the visitors would at least just like 
the patient to know. So for that, just just I, th- I think you can just send the the people closest to them. Send them a text and let them know that. Mm-hmm. Can you let them know we're thinking of them, mm-hmm. but we won't come to visit to burden you or mm-hmm. whatever. Okay. So I think that th- that's often um that's often a worry on the part of the visitor that just so they know that we're thinking about them. So let them know somehow. But you don't have to necessarily physically be there. And I can say that from experience mm-hmm. that sometimes it was just. The idea of having to just even yeah. lift my head was, was was used to be too tough yeah. to, to take. And you're obviously in hospital for four months. But I think I only visited you a few times at the I end of your twice visit. Twice or something. Yeah, once, yes. once I got love. And it was very very short. And those were the ideal visits, to be honest. Uh, and the thing it? was, bear in mind, I could have visited any time. Yes. And I could. Yeah. And I thought to myself, I could pop in and visit in the ICU mm-hmm. and things like that. Mm-hmm. But. Having seen things, I thought it's more useful for me just to speak to your husband and Absolutely. get the necessary yes. from that yes. uh, side of things. Yeah. Um, so that's us coming uh, just about come to the end of today's show. Um, Hamza has been very enlightening uh, to hear both uh, Sarah's perspective, also Sheikh Abdulaziz's perspective in relation to what uh, they have gone through as a couple, but also what Idris had to experience as well. I'm sure as he gets older and is able to articulate himself, he'll have be able to share some of these memories, although they might be mm. patchy or brief, but you'd be surprised what children can retain at that age. Yeah. Um, and I used to make it a point to take my daughter, daughters Afia and Iman to see my father. Uh, yeah. Afia was coming, had just turned eight, Iman was coming up for four. And he said, oh, why are you taking them? And I said, it's fine, they need to see what life is, they need to see the reality of it. And we did in a controlled environment, a controlled setting. At the end of the day, they know their father is a doctor as well. They need to see the type of what he does in his day job, what he has to go through, because yeah. it helps them appreciate and understand what what life is about. And to be honest, they look forward to coming to the hospital, and they it just didn't they just took it naturally that dad yeah. dad said we make dua for him. Yeah. He comes yeah. home when he has to come home. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. And it's always a perk of the job that daddy works in hospital, so yeah. we can go anytime. Yeah taking the badge and getting in without having to buzz the nurses so you have to make the situation as positive as possible despite it being as challenging as possible mm-hmm. I'd like to say Jazakallah Khair to um, our uh, two guests and to Lubna for making today's show happen and inshallah please remember uh, Sheikh Al-Aziz and his wife in your du'as particularly that Allah gives them strength mm-hmm. so Ameen. that they may be able to continue having as wholesome a life as possible and as a lot of barakah and inshallah with longevity mm-hmm. uh, uh, there was a du'a for Umar al-Anhu that when people used to say to him oh, when he was in, in, in tribulation oh make du'a to Allah SWT to take it away he said mm-hmm. no no get, make du'a that Allah gives me the strength to see it through uh, mm-hmm. and that is what we should always look taking it away we don't know what's best for us what we want is the strength to get through it so Allah is pleased with us at the end so may Allah make it easy for everybody Amen.